Good morning. It's good to be with you all. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 8. We'll be continuing in our study of Mark. In fact, we'll be finishing up Mark chapter 8. Imagine with me, if you would, that you had to make a choice. You had a 10-hour ride ahead of you, and you had to get on one of two trains. One train had a beautiful coach that you got to sit in and had windows, was taking you through the mountains, and you had full service and every amenity you could think of. It was sure to be an enjoyable time. But the destination it took you to and dropped you off at uh, was a jail. You had to spend one year in solitary confinement. It was going to be a good 10 hours up until that point. You had to spend a year locked up. The other train is a cattle car. And they didn't clean it out. Uh, and it wasn't the most comfortable place to be. And it didn't have any windows on it. And it was sure to be a pretty miserable 10-hour drive. Or ride, I suppose. At the end of it, though, you got to spend a year with your family at your favorite vacation spot, all expense paid. Which train do you think you'll be getting on? Might you be able to endure 10 hours of the cattle car for a year with your family with no work responsibilities and all expenses paid? I think you would. I, I think all of us would endure it, would take the 10-hour ride uh, cramped and smelly in exchange for redeeming the next 365 days with our family in an enjoyable place. Now, this morning we are going to hear a hard word from Jesus about what it means to follow him. The discomfort of following Jesus will be far greater than what we've considered, but the ultimate joys are infinitely greater. Let's read our passage together this morning. We're in Mark chapter 8, we'll be starting in verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's pray. Father, we confess this morning that you are worthy. You are worthy of all praise. Your Son, Jesus Christ, is worthy, and on Him we are waiting, Lord. We are waiting for the day that He comes in Your glory with the holy angels and comes for us. 
Lord, help us to be faithful today. Give us grace that we would endure discomfort, that we would endure shame from our culture, that we would endure even mistreatment as those who follow you, our crucified and risen Messiah. Jesus, we bless you, and in your name we pray, amen. I think the simple point of our text here is to follow Jesus at all costs. As we work through these verses, first we'll see the call to embrace, the call to die, verse 34. Next, we'll be called to not barter our soul. Don't barter your soul, verses 35 to 37. And then don't be ashamed of the glorious one, we'll see in verse 38. Let's take the hard one first here, especially. These are all hard, in fact. Uh, The first one here, uh, we're to embrace the call to die. We'll see this in verse 34. Jesus is calling us to, if we would follow him, to take up, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Now, just last week, we saw this magnificent statement from Peter. That Jesus is the Christ. He's asked them, who do men say that I am? And they've said what people say he is. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And Peter was right. They didn't expect what came next. Jesus said that he would die. That he would rise again. They were not expecting that the Christ would suffer. They were looking for a Messiah that was foretold in places like Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11, the the root of David, the the branch of Jesse, one who would come to conquer. And the Messiah will be that. But before he would be the Messiah of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, he would come to die. And these men align themselves with this Messiah. But the shocking thing for them as well, and this comes right after that, is that the followers of the Messiah would die. The, many of the followers of this Christ would suffer. And Jesus says here first to them that if they're going to follow him, they're going to need to deny themselves. Now what exactly does that mean? We can think of several ways that we could deny ourselves, but what is Jesus getting at here? First, I don't think here specifically he's talking about the denial of our sin, that he's calling us to deny our sin. I don't think that's the main point. And the reason is because I think that's already assumed. When Jesus came preaching, he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So he's already assuming that they've denied their sin in following him. Well, of course, yes, we should deny our sin, but I don't think that's what he's getting at here. That's not the main point he's getting at. Next, I don't think he's simply calling for self-denial in an ascetic sense. We saw when we were studying in Colossians chapter 2 that uh, severity to the body for its own sake wasn't commended in Scripture. We're not called to be rigorous with ourselves or to live a Spartan lifestyle just for the sake of that, as if the rigorous life is the good life in and of itself. Now, this may call us to deny ourselves in, in tangible ways, but that's not in, in and of itself. It's, it's not simply for re- living a rigorous life. 
Specifically here, Jesus is calling us to embrace suffering for his sake. It may call us to do without all sorts of things, but it's specifically centered on Jesus, that we would deny ourselves to follow Jesus. Uh, Here, notice that he says, take up your cross. Now that is a foreshadowing, I think, of his own means of death. He hasn't mentioned that yet, but I think this is a hint in that direction. The reality we've got to see is is taking up our cross uh, is a call to take up an instrument of execution. The cross was reserved for the worst in Roman society. Nobody dies by impaling on a cross these days. Uh, This would be like Jesus telling his followers in our day uh, to, to take up a noose, a rope, a hangman, a hangman's rope, put it in a backpack, put it on your back, and follow me to the gallows. That's the, the kind of thing that Jesus is saying to his disciples. I have to imagine they're pretty shocked to hear the things coming out of Jesus' mouth. This is a serious call. And let's be honest, uh, this destroys any sort of a prosperity gospel. You know, it's very... Uh, popular in our day. We've been living in a society where Christianity hasn't been openly persecuted. Uh, there's been discomfort, but not, not like what many people are experiencing, like today in Nigeria under Boko Haram. Uh, we're not experiencing that yet. Uh, and it's easy, when things are easy, to assume that that's the way it should be. Uh, many people have made quite a bit of money off of telling Christians Well, God wants nothing but prosperity for you. But this passage just isn't going to have it. Uh, This is not a call to live your best life now. In fact, it's possible that we might be called to live our worst life now. As we follow Jesus, we must embrace this hard call. Now, we might not actually be called to die, to physically give our lives Uh, that might not be called from us. Uh, But certainly we are called, Christians throughout their lives are called to give of themselves for the good of others. There may be sacrifices we do make for the good of somebody else. Uh, There may be uh, a sacrifice of a good thing for the spiritual benefit of others. Jesus might call us to that. We want to be ready. We might not be called to give our lives in the ultimate sense, Uh, But we certainly should be living our lives for Christ. And that is going to picture dying to ourselves at times, giving up even good things for the good of another. But we want to focus on on the straightforward call here and and ask ourselves, are we willing to die for Jesus? Think about it. Are you willing to die for Jesus, to give your life for him? If push came to shove, Would you remain faithful to Jesus at the count of your very life? Is Jesus that worthy to you? Is he worth your life itself? I hope the answer is yes for every single one of us. Uh, And whether you feel up to the task right now or not, uh, I think we should all pray and ask that God would help us to be ready that if that moment came for us, we would be faithful. 
Peter thought he was ready. Uh, and it turned when push came to shove, he wasn't ready. Not the first time. He did deny Jesus, and he repented, and he turned, and later he would give his life for Christ. We don't know what we would what we'd be faced with on that day. We heard from our brother Fikret that uh, he faced persecution and, and the Lord helped him in unexpected ways in that moment. Uh, we want to we wanna ask that God would help us uh, for whatever he calls us to, whether that's in the ultimate sense or uh, in smaller ways along the way. We want to be ready. The next thing this passage calls us to uh, is to not barter your soul for anything. We see that in verses 35 to 37. Jesus continues to press the matter further for us. He says, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. It's essentially what he says. But if you lose it, if you lose your life for Christ and his gospel, you'll save it. Now, what does that mean? Uh, here, the word in the ESV is translated life. Maybe your, probably your translation also says life. If you save your life, you'll lose it. Uh, the word in Greek there is the word for soul, your suke. Uh, it's your soul. It's used four times in these verses. And sometimes the meaning of that word is rightly translated soul in the sense that we think about it, that, that immaterial part of us. Um, other times, uh, the, the writers of the New Testament do use it like it's being used here to refer to our life. Um, perhaps the way it's connected here is the idea is if your soul is in your body, you're alive. If your soul is taken from your body, you're not. Uh, so maybe Jesus is here saying, if you keep your soul in your body no matter what it costs, then you might lose it. If you want to keep your soul in your body so much that you're willing to deny Christ, your soul will ultimately be lost. If you are willing to so love Christ, on the other hand, that you refuse to deny him even unto death, you will have your life for eternity with him. The ride may be rough, but the destination is beyond description. This text is calling us to. Now, we live in a world that teaches YOLO. You've probably heard the phrase before, YOLO. Y-O-L-O. -O. You only live once. Maybe that's new to you. Maybe that's 15 years old to you. I don't know. Maybe you've heard that. Uh, it, people usually say that you only live once as they're inviting you to, to, to go on and make a good use of your life. Uh, and really, sometimes what goes along with that is the idea that this life is all there is, so you better make the most of it. The reality is that nobody only lives once. And I'm not talking about reincarnation here, that we get new iterations of life. Uh, the Bible teaches that we're eternal beings. We might die in this life, but we're not dead forever. Our soul lives on and God will raise us up. Both the righteous and the unrighteous will both be resurrected. And we will stand before God in judgment. We don't only live once. I think what that should teach us is that our lives in this world are of relative value. Our lives are of relative value, but our soul 
is of inestimable value. There's no value, no price tag that we could put on our soul. Now, our society tends to value the material. Uh, and the reality is the things that are really valuable transcend those tangible things we can put our hands on. Jesus reasons with us in light of this in verses 36 and 37. I'll read it again. He says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? You might gain everything this world has to offer if you are willing to deny Christ. But will that be worth it in eternity? If you wouldn't trade one comfortable day for the loss of a year, like we talked about earlier, why would you ever wager your eternal soul on even the best things this world might offer? Don't barter your soul for anything in this world. Nothing in this world is going to last. It is passing away. So don't barter your soul for anything this world could give you. Don't trade it in. Jesus tells us that the trade won't be worth it. Don't relinquish your eternal soul to hell so that you can have an easy life now. And let's just be honest, nobody's promised an easy life anyways. Life in this world is hard. Make the determination in your heart now that you will not trade anything for Christ. Now, truth be told, not many people have died for Jesus in the last 200 years in our nation. There hasn't been a rash of persecution in our nation for the last few hundred years. So we might wonder, does this passage really apply to us? Does this mean that it doesn't apply to us because we haven't faced it in blood earnest in the last couple hundred years? I don't think it means that. This passage does apply to us. Now certainly, Jesus' first followers, they heard these words and they went on within a matter of years to, to be forced to make these kinds of decisions. We went over this previously, but almost all of the apostles had their lives cut short by persecution. They were martyred for Christ. Um, the reality is for us, we just don't know. Uh, as Western society grows increasingly more post-Christian and godless, Persecution could break out for us, whether that be from a top-down sort of approach or a grassroots way. Following Christ might not, in our lifetime, literally cost us our lives, but it might cost us a lot. You know, is it possible that some of us, even in this church, might lose jobs over corporate demands for inclusivity? Is that possible? I think that's possible in the next decade. You know, perhaps it will cost you to belong to a church that accepts all of what the Bible teaches. Jesus is inviting us to weigh the cost of following him and to follow him no matter the cost. He gives us one more word of motivation to follow him in this passage, and we see that in verse 38. Read it again. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father, with the holy angels. Now notice, he calls the generation that he's living in, his generation, he calls it adulterous and sinful. Now why does he call it adulterous? 
probably because here he is in Israel, the Son of God, come as the Messiah to God's people, and they've rejected him. So many rejected him. These people have been unfaithful to God. And in that sense, they've been adulterous to God and the covenant they've made with him. It's an an unfaithful generation. If you live in that kind of generation, then it's going to create an atmosphere in which somebody could become ashamed of following Jesus. Following Jesus could be viewed so negatively that somebody might try to embarrass you right out of following him. In that kind of a generation, the Jews of this generation... Uh, would certainly try to do that to Jesus' first followers. Christians would be casted out of the synagogue, uh, and that's going to be a shame-inducing experience. If you're uh, sent out from your family, kicked out of the public arena, it's going to be something that can induce shame. Now, our society certainly seeks to use shame to coerce obedience to the spirit of the age. Uh, If you don't get in line with modern sexuality, you will be shamed. If you watch shows, uh, people who aren't in step with modern social uh, and sexual mores, they're seen as deplorable, Victorian, narrow-minded, straight-up evil. If you follow Christ today openly, you will have to face people's attempts to shame you. You know what? Endure it. Endure it for Christ. Endure it for his gospel. Endure it for his words. Don't back down. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Jesus says here that anybody who's ashamed of him and ashamed of his words, of that person, Jesus himself will be ashamed when he returns. That is a staggering word. If you deny Jesus for the sake of the world's acceptance... You will be denied by Jesus along with the unbelieving world when he returns. Within this stark warning, we shouldn't miss a description of what Jesus' return will be like. He says, when he comes, speaking of himself, when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus' return is going to be glorious. It is going to be a day of glory. The glory of God will be on full display for every eye to see on that day. The righteous will rejoice and the unrighteous will be so terrified that they'll call for the rocks to fall upon them to hide them. Angels and glorified saints are going to be seen on that day. And best of all, Jesus will come back down to this earth. In short, we want to be his on that day. We don't want to be found having traded the world for Christ on that day. And so we don't want to trade him for the world today. Standing faithful to Christ today may cost us. It may even cost us dearly. But in light of eternity, it's worth it. We can endure discomfort and pain now knowing that glory awaits us. The ride may be rough but the destination is worth it. We will be with Christ forever in his glory. And so we should follow Christ today, no matter what the cost. Let's stay faithful to our Savior. Let's pray together.